You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Good afternoon. Yeah, I know. What? I'm either a hero or an idiot. I'll tell you what happened. We were, um, we were at the wedding yesterday. And it wasn't through shouting. I've, I had a bit of a throat infection back end of this week and just through the day lost my voice. And all of us on team were involved in the wedding and it was just a little bit too late for us to switch the preacher. So we kind of said, well, we'll see how we get on. So I've got through one service and uh, I'm believing to get through a second service. I want to, um, I do want to apologize for the quality of my voice here. My, my real prayer is that it isn't a distraction to you. Um, I know sometimes it can be. I know uh, Pastor Esther had a, uh, a struggle earlier in the year with her voice, and it was the same deal. And uh, we're not kind of, I don't know what's going on here, um, but I believe this will be the last installment. But I know some of you, you are on the edge of your seat just hoping she was going to make it. And I just don't want this to be a distraction. I believe the Lord would want to speak to us today. And so you'll get used to the husky tones. And uh, we'll just enter in. It will be a little bit more uh, subdued delivery than what you might be used to from me. But I pray nonetheless you'd catch the heartbeat of passion uh, as we continue our focus here on meeting Jesus. You know, when I was 17 years of age, I met Jesus for the first time. And my life has never been the same since. I have never, I've never recovered from meeting Jesus. But the great thing is, it wasn't a one-off encounter. It was the beginning of a relationship. This is what happens when we meet Jesus. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we kicked off this little series, we asked whether anybody had met anybody famous. And I, I, was, I was surprised how excited some people got to uh, share their famous person encounter. Everybody seemed to know that they'd met somebody and there were different ranges of you know, kind of Z-list Z celebrities through to genuinely famous people. Some people were excited. There was one guy in the first service said he'd met Prince Charles and like the whole service went wild. I was like, what, what just happened there? Um, then in this service, you remember my friend Stephen who, who said that he'd met his wife. And, uh, and then like, we all felt bad that we hadn't said our wives. And so we kind of all had to get on board with that idea and then tell him not to be so daft. So the... But here's the thing, that everybody who'd met somebody famous, uh, it was a one-off encounter. Nobody came up to me afterwards and said, oh, we exchanged numbers and we've kept in touch. You know, me and Prince Charles were like that. We're tight. No, it was a one-off encounter. Never happened again. But with Jesus, it, the Gospels say he was passing by. The Gospels say he was passing through. And this is where we see people encountering him and meeting him for the first time. But here's the reality. He passes through our world. He, he, by his spirit, is in this room today. Maybe you're here as uh, cheering somebody on as a baby is dedicated and church isn't normally part of your world and part of your life. I want to say Jesus is in this place by the power of his spirit and is longing to meet with you. If only you'll open your heart to him. And not for a one-off encounter, but for an ongoing relationship with him. This is the wonder and the mystery of Jesus. We've also been considering in this little series 
that when we meet Jesus, we are impacted by who he is. This person represents so much. And when we come close to him, who he is changes our world. And we looked a couple of weeks ago about Jesus the Savior and how Zacchaeus had been called down from being in a tree. And Jesus, at the end of that encounter, as Zacchaeus' life is turned around for good and, and he seeks to put right all the wrong that he's done. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Something has happened because Zacchaeus didn't just meet a person, he met the Savior. And that saving power that is all around the person of Jesus saved Zacchaeus. That last week, Esther, some of you were snowed off. And if you haven't caught up with the message, I encourage you to go online and, and pick up the podcast. Spoke about Jesus the healer and Bartimaeus crying out for Jesus. And Jesus coming and, and calling Bartimaeus and not only restoring his sight, but saying your faith has healed you and using this beautiful word sozo in the Greek, which means made whole, that everything about Bartimaeus was restored, not just his sight. This is what happens when we meet Jesus. He makes us whole. He heals us of our diseases. I know I'm saying that with a croaky throat. I'll be back. But Jesus is my healer. I've experienced his healing power in my life many times. But not just in physical healing, making me whole. This is the person of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And here's the interesting thing, because in the church calendar, a week ahead of Easter, this is traditionally celebrated as Palm Sunday. This is when we remember Jesus riding in triumph into Jerusalem. And this is where we're going to be today in our scriptures but it's interesting, if you look over the last couple of weeks, these stories all knit together. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus begins to speak again of the need for him to go to the cross. He, he tells his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. But I'm going to rise from the dead. And, and then it says, from that place, they began to approach Jericho. And as he approached Jericho, it's there that he encountered Bartimaeus. And then as Bartimaeus is healed, they go into Jericho and inside Jericho on the same journey, almost undoubtedly on the same day, Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. So Jesus uh, the healer and Jesus the savior. And then it says, just as Jesus is saying salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house, it says while he was still saying this, Jesus began to speak of a parable. And he told a parable called the parable of the ten miners. And if you look at it in, in Luke's gospel, you'll see it's a story about a king. And Jesus says it was a man of noble birth who went home to be appointed as king. There were some who didn't want him to be king, but he was made king anyway. Jesus starts to talk about king. He changes the theme, and then from there, they head to Jerusalem. And as they get to Jerusalem, he enters in triumphantly as king. Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Healer. Jesus the King. Jesus starts to introduce this idea. And so today, we're going to look at, we're going to celebrate Jesus the King. Jonathan's going to come and help me and read the verses from Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, 
at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. Well, you know, if you read that story at face value, you might think that Jesus has just reached a point of popularity. He comes into Jerusalem and the crowds begin to shout, but actually something incredibly profound is happening in this moment. You see, Jesus, for three years of ministry, has been talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. This is the main theme through Jesus' teaching. And 119 times recorded in the gospel, Jesus refers to the kingdom. But he's never really talked about who the king of the kingdom is. Every kingdom has to have a king. And so he's talked about the kingdom. We understand it's God, but he's never really articulated the king of the kingdom. And then here in this moment, a week before he's going to go to the cross and lay down his life for the sins of the world and then be raised from the dead, he starts to introduce the theme of the king. And something converges that has been planned before eternity and has been prophesied for hundreds of years that the king, the Messiah, the king of the kingdom will come into the holy city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 prophesied hundreds of years previously that the king of salvation would come in to Zion. It says, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. This is the king. The king of the kingdom is going to come into Jerusalem. And then it says this in Zechariah 9.9, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What what is going on? It's saying there's a king coming. And the whole of Israel is expecting a king to come. But Zechariah said, when the king comes, don't be surprised, he'll be coming riding on a donkey. Now, understand this, that when a king went out to war, a king rode on a horse. But if a king came in peace, he came on a donkey. So if you saw a king coming, you weren't afraid. And it says, this king is going to be a king of peace. You're going to think he's going to come and take Jerusalem by force, but he won't. He'll come on a donkey. Look out for it. And here in this moment, this happens. One of the prophetic Psalms, Psalm 118, said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And it speaks of the king to come. This prophetic Psalm, go check it out, 118, sorry. And it says, With bows in hand, join the festal procession. You are my God and I will exalt you. What is happening here is this, this psalm has been written hundreds of years earlier saying there's a king coming. 
There's a king coming, and when he comes, you'll have boughs in your hands. You'll have the, the branches of trees in your hand. There will be a festal procession, and he is God, and we will exalt him. And all these things start to mesh together in this moment. Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Healer, and now Jesus the King. And it's as if the veil gets removed in this moment. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom, and suddenly it's revealed that he is the king. Only it's too late because he's going to the cross and he knows he has to go to the cross to save the world. It's incredibly profound and beautiful. I became a Christian at the age of 17 and I think I began to grasp that Jesus was my savior. I started to understand that Jesus was a healer. I think it took a little while to understand that Jesus is the king. But something happens in us when we recognize he is also king. Whenever we come to Jesus, we will be transformed by who he is. He is altogether good and altogether wonderful. And he has positioned himself to meet with us. And we are always the net receivers of who he is. So Jesus is Savior and Healer, but Jesus is also the rock. And as I come to the rock, I can depend on him. I remember somebody sharing a testimony once as they got baptized and telling about how their life had spiraled into various levels of chaos. But they said this beautiful phrase, they said, and I hit rock bottom. But when I hit rock bottom, I found there was a rock at the bottom. And his name is Jesus. And from there, I start to build my way up. Sometimes we, we need a rock in our lives, and Jesus is the rock. Something firm that we can build. And we meet Jesus, we come to him, and we find him to be a rock. Jesus is the light. He will illuminate our darkness. He's the life. He's the word. He's the creator. He's alpha and he's omega. He's lion and the lamb. He's the bread of life. We can feed on him. He's the morning star. He's our deliverer. Maybe you need deliverance today. Maybe you need leading out of some situation where you find yourself captive. Let me tell you, we need to meet Jesus, the deliverer. He is the one who sets us free. He's the one who breaks the chains. And why are we saying this? Because actually, in our Monday to Friday, in our, in our day to day, the question is, are, are we opening up our hearts to meet with him? He is right there, nearer than we think. Jesus is ready to meet with us and encounter us and bring into our world all who he is to transform us. Jesus is faithful and true. Emmanuel, God with us. He's the door. He's the way. He's our guide. Anybody not sure about direction, not sure what their next steps are, not sure what future career path to take, we, we, can, we need direction. I remember going to Nando's one luncheon, uh, and the guy serving me was there, and we ended up talking. And, and I said, are you a student? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm, but I'm about to graduate. And I said, oh, what are you going to do next? And he said, I don't know. And then he said to me, how do you know what to do next? And I said, well, it's funny you should ask me that. I said, I wouldn't have a clue what to do other than I know someone who always knows what to do next. And I started to talk to him about Jesus because Jesus is the way. I said, my, my life has amazed me as it has unfolded because he has led me. I said, I have absolutely no clue how you plot your life without Jesus. But with him, he will guide you into the very reason that you were created. I said, do you go to church? He said, no, I used to go to church. So we need to come to our church. 
And he said, I will. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, listen, this is who Jesus is. He's the way. He's our peace. But let me tell you, friends, today, he's also the king. He's the king. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Are we right to call him a king? Absolutely. Revelation 11, he will reign forever and ever. Revelation 19, the armies of heaven follow him. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Philippians 2 says, God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know, I've come to also realize that this king and this kingdom is like no other. He comes gentle, riding on a donkey. This is the king of peace. I've come to understand that if I place my life under his jurisdiction, I will only ever be richer and better for it. My life will be altogether richer and better and fuller for placing myself under this king. He doesn't come to self-impose. He doesn't come to bring any imposition. He is the giving king. He's the gracious king. He's the humble king. He's the saving king. He's the king that laid down his life for the sins of the world. There's no king and no kingdom like this king and this kingdom. I've also come to understand this, that this king will never be succeeded. Or as my wife corrected me between the services, I should say acceded is an even better word. Yeah. No. No one, no one else knew that. That was just Esther, right? But, no, but this is the thing that Jesus will never be acceded. No one will ever come after him. You know, there will come a day when we hear in the news that the queen has died. We'll probably all remember where we were on that day. It'll be one of those days in the nation where the queen has died. Because she ain't going to live forever and she ain't going to reign forever. But I know one who does live forever and who does reign forever. And his name is Jesus. There's no, there's no, there's no day coming when Jesus will have had his day. It is always his day. He reigns forever. He's the eternal king. So we have to ask ourselves, are our lives going to line up to this king? If truly he reigns and he reigns forever, should not our lives be being shaped according to his rule and his reign? I I would suggest they are. And I think we can learn something from this passage here today. Three thoughts for us. Firstly, they took their branches. You know, this is all about welcome. Here in Luke's gospel, it doesn't mention the the palm branches, but it does in Matthew and Mark and John. It says that the people, they took branches. And and what an incredible thing, Psalm 118 says, with bows in hand, join the festal procession. And they actually took branches in this moment and they laid them, the Bible says, on the road before Jesus. It's also understood in tradition that they waved the branches. The Bible doesn't actually say that, although it's very likely that they did. There was a sense of a royal welcome, the the festal procession. When royalty was to come, you would wave something. We still do that. In May, there will be a a royal wedding in our nation. And guess what? The the streets of London will be lined several people deep. and, And they'll be waving flags. Why? It's what you do. 
It's what you do when royalty comes by. I was about five years old, and I was at my grandma's house, and that day the queen was supposed to be driving past the end of her road, and my sister and I were, were made to, to collar in Union Jacks, and then we stuck them on a bit of cane with sellotape. It was very Heath Robinson, and we went down the road, and we waved our little flags, and this car shot past. I was like, what was that all about? Well, why would you do that? But that's what you do. And, and Jesus comes in and something, and you might think, well, that's ridiculous, but we see it every week. We see it on the football terraces. This is Borussia Dortmund uh, on the screen. What's going on there? They're just warming up. They take the flags away so they can see the game when kickoff comes. What, what are they doing? Grown men are taking their flags into a stadium to cheer on their team, to say, we, we want to see you play. You are welcome. We're, we're delighted to have you here. Come and play for us. What would possess a grown man to do that? And yet there's something within us, actually. There's something within us that when, when the king comes, w w there's a response. And it finds expression on the terraces of football stadiums. And yet here in Jerusalem, there's a waving of branches because the king is coming. It's all about welcome. They're saying to him in that moment, Jesus, we want you to reign. Jesus, we welcome you into Jerusalem. Come in, we welcome you as a king. But the question, therefore, to us is Jesus is king. Will we welcome him? I don't care whether you get something and wave it or not. It's really a posture of our spirit that says, Jesus, you are welcome here. And I want to ask you, my brother and sister here today, is your heart welcoming him? Is he welcome in your world, in your house, in your home, in your heart, in your career, in your studies, in your finances, in your family? These little lives that we speak a blessing over today, how wonderful. But is the king welcome in those homes? That ultimately will define the blessing upon those children. The open door and, and the confession of the parents saying, yes, we commit. Different words, but the same heart. We commit to welcome the king into our home for the sake of this little one. Is your home, is your heart a place where the king is welcome? This is our question today. I remember being at university and I've been a Christian a couple of years and I, I entered into a, a relationship that I shouldn't have entered into. I remember having a wrestle on the inside because I knew the Spirit of God was, was asking me not to enter into this relationship. I remember resisting that in order to do what I wanted to do. And I remember trying to walk out still having a relationship with Him and yet resisting Him and finding that you can't do it. You can pretend, but you can't do it. You can't willfully resist the overtures of the Holy Spirit and walk freely with him at the same time. I remember getting to a place where I said, I must have the king in my life. And having to then unpick the mess that I'd created and going about that and trying to fix that and sort that, but ultimately coming to a place where he was welcome as king once again to rule and to reign in my heart. 
And I want to ask us just to take a moment before we move to a second point to consider our own hearts and lives here today. I wonder if there's a place in your heart where you're resisting him. Is he welcome in your relationships? Is he welcome in your lifestyle choices? Is he welcome when you're asked to tell the truth and you don't want to? Is he welcome in that place? Are there any hidden areas of your life where you're resisting him? And today, can you welcome him as the king? And I wonder if we can take a moment to pray, maybe help you to close your eyes. And if there's something on your heart, I wonder if you'd have the courage to say, Lord, I'm sorry and I welcome you, your rule and your reign. If you're not aware of anything, then maybe affirm to him, Lord, you are welcome in my heart. Lord, would you help us to keep our hearts open that you may be welcome to rule and reign. Come in, King of glory. Amen. Secondly, and slightly ironically today, they raised their voices. It's all about declaration. I may be struggling to raise my voice today, but Luke 19.37 says, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God with loud Voices, there's a posture of the heart and there's a confession of the mouth. In a few days from this moment, another crowd would be shouting crucify, but here they say blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the question is, Jesus is king, will I acknowledge him? Jesus is king, will I acknowledge him? Will I speak up for him? Will I declare him? It might mean speaking up at work. Or within a family setting, sometimes we have to make a stance. We might be asked to do something that causes compromise in our lives, and we have to take a stance for him. Remember a friend of mine being in a work situation where he was, he was put in a position where he was being asked to compromise his integrity. He was, he was being forced to deceive other people into believing he was somebody he was not in order to gain information. They called it in the industry disguise, and they sanitized it. But my friend had to say, I, I can't do that. That's not who I am. What, why could he not do that? Because there was a king welcome in his heart. And he had to voice up, and ultimately he had to resign from his job. And I remember him phoning me, saying, can I come and see you? I said, sure, what's happened? He said, I've, I've just resigned from my job. And him coming and sitting with me. So I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how I'm going to work this out. But I, I had to say something. I had to speak up. Why did he speak up? Because there's a king in, in, in residence in his heart, governing how he lives. And I remember praying with him. It's probably 20 years ago. I can say that as somebody that I can personally call a friend, and I'm not guaranteeing this for you, but he's the wealthiest person I know personally now. But he made a decision that he was going to speak up and do what was right with no guarantees on the other side of that. I wonder, sometimes we can find ourselves in situations and we have to speak up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. You might be okay with that, but I can't do that. We can be misunderstood in those times. We can be fearful of being misunderstood, and yet sometimes we have to be willing to raise our voice and say, I can't do that. 
for some of our teenagers, it might mean speaking up at school. Not just in the playground, but in the classroom to say, I, I don't actually believe that. And having the courage to do that. Something powerful happens when we raise our voice for the king. These disciples, they lifted their voice and they say, blessed is the king. They were making a declaration. There were many who wanted Jesus dead, but they raised their voices and they welcomed him. We get into the contention at the end where many of them, they criticize Jesus. They say, why don't you tell your disciples to shut up? And he says, if, if they didn't speak it, the stones would cry out. But tension is rising in Jerusalem. But there were those who spoke up in the midst of it. There were those who raised their voices it might mean standing in a place of faith, making a declaration where the circumstances say one thing, but the word of God or the promise of God says something else. In our wider family situation, right now we have a, we have a challenge, a significant health challenge, and the circumstances say one thing, but the promise of God says something else. So what are we going to do? We're going to raise our voices. We're going to declare what is true. I want to encourage you. I don't know if there's a, a place in your world where you need to speak out that Jesus is Lord. Some of us in our homes, we need simply to learn to lift up our voices and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. To let worship and praise rise in our bedrooms and in our living rooms. Let it be a place of praise where Jesus is declared as Lord. Something powerful happens in us and in the places where we live. Is there a confession on your lips today? Why don't we take a moment to respond? Take a moment to pray. It might help you to close your eyes. Is there a place around your life where you need to take a stand? This Jesus. To let him be king. To let him rule. To stand up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or I don't actually believe that. Is there a situation that needs a different confession? Lord, I pray, give your people courage that we might lift our voices and declare you as king. Thirdly, they, they laid down their cloaks. You know, this is all about submission. They took off their outer garments, their cloaks, their jackets the bible says they laid them before jesus and they allowed him on the donkey and the colt to pass over them what is going on here they are yielding they are submitting probably the most expensive items that they own and they're throwing them on the dusty road saying jesus come over here they they are saying something powerful they are yielding to his authority they're saying we acknowledge you are king you rule and your reign and we will submit to your higher authority as far as I can ascertain, there's one place in Scripture where a similar thing happens, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 9. Ahab is king over Israel, but he's doing much that is wicked in the eyes and the sight of the Lord. And there comes a moment where the word of the Lord comes to Elisha, the man of God, and he speaks to one of the prophets in his company, and Elisha commissions a prophet to go and find Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, and he sends him with a, a flask of oil, and he says, go and find Jehu, and pour this on his head, and say, the Lord has appointed you to become king over Israel. You will succeed or accede Ahab. You will come onto his throne, and you will do good in the sight of Israel. Something powerful happens in that moment. The prophet goes, 
But Jehu is found in the company of similar officers. Jehu is an officer. And he's gathered with his mates. He's there with his crew. And the prophet arrives and he says, I need to speak to you, commander. And Jehu says, which one of us? And he says, you. And he takes him into another room. And, and he speaks the prophecy over him that he's going to be king. And he pours the flask out on Jehu's head. And then it says he ran from that place. This is the prophet. And when Jehu walks back into the room where his mates are, they say, what happened? And he kind of brushes it off and says, well, you know the sort of thing these guys say. And they say, no, you tell us, what has happened? And he said he prophesied that I would be king over Israel. And the Bible says immediately they took off their cloaks and they laid them in front of Jehu and made Jehu walk over them. They said, Jehu is king. What are they doing? They're saying, you may have been our brother, but we acknowledge the Lord has appointed you as king. They laid down their wills. They said, we will submit to you if you are king. We will allow you, excuse me, to rule over us. But what about us? Here in the triumphal entry, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they take off their cloaks. They're saying, we allow you to rule over us. But what about me? Well, I take off the jacket of my life and say, Jesus, I allow you to rule over me. I acknowledge your higher authority. I will yield this life to you. They're not laying down their cloaks saying, trample over me. And this is not the sort of king Jesus is anyway. But they're saying, I acknowledge that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Come and have your way in my life. There have been many times where, since deciding to follow Jesus 30 years ago, I've been challenged to take off the cloak of my life and to lay it down afresh and say, Jesus, be king here. I remember studying law at university, hoping to be a lawyer, and the Spirit of God starting to speak to me about pulling aside from that and, and serving in a church. And I laid down the cloak of my dreams and my aspirations, and I said, I'll let you be king here. You do what you want to do with this life. It's yours. Deploy me as you see fit. And I remember going and doing that. A few years later, those circumstances changed and I started work for a global company. And by the grace and favor of God, I did well. I got promoted numbers of times and I was earning good money and driving a nice company car. And the call of God came on my life to come into ministry as we are now. I remember looking at the numbers. It was a big circumstantial change, but I had to lay down the cloak of my life again and say, Jesus, be king in this place. Be king here. Do what you want to do with me. Send me where you want to send me. And so we did it. And then we were happy where we were. And then a few years ago, the call came for us to move from where we were to come here to be part of what God is doing here in Coventry. I'm so glad that he did. But in that moment, again, we have to say, oh, Lord. We lay down the, the cloak of our lives. Say, King Jesus, come and rule once again and afresh in our lives. And we made a journey. You know, I've also come to learn that sometimes it's easier in the big things than the little things. Sometimes in the big crossroads of life where we've decided to follow Jesus, if I'm speaking to you as a believer here today, it's easier to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. But what about tomorrow afternoon? What about Wednesday morning? Will I lay down the cloak of my life then in the little things? In the thoughts of my life, in the language that I use? in the way that I treat people. 
in how I feel when somebody has wronged me? Will I lay down the cloak of my life there and say, Jesus, be king here. Let me respond as you would respond. What about the things that I listen to and the things that I watch? How I handle my money, my daily disciplines. Why don't we take a moment? I wonder, some of you may be wrestling right now with a sense of core. Would you come and say, Jesus, be king. Have your way. Do what you want to do. Maybe it's in the little things of our lives. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. Maybe we've allowed some little foxes into our lives. Maybe we've allowed some habit patterns to become developed and it's time to lay down the cloak once again. Say, Jesus, be king in that place. Would you help me? Help me to move out of that, to turn that around and to honor you. Let's take a moment to respond as you need to respond. Jesus, we say today there is no one like you. You are the king of glory. And I pray, would you help us to welcome you in? Would you help us to lay down the things that need to be laid down, that we would truly yield to you, that we would submit to you, we would allow your lordship in our lives, in the big things and in the little, for the honor of your name. Amen. As we finish, I wonder if I could invite the band to come back up. Thank you for bearing with me today. But you know, I... I Although I've spoken in a calm and a gentle fashion because I've had to, I also observe in this scripture there is a shout of praise. There's something of a hosanna as we read this. There's a welcome of the king. And there is a lifting up of the name of Jesus. It says, they came in and with loud voices they proclaimed, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They shouted their hosannas. They, they raised him high. They exalted him. And you know, a king is worthy of being welcomed. And I wonder at the end of this service whether we might shift gear a little bit and bring some praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as I thought about that, I, I remembered something that many of you will have seen years ago. It's old now, and I'm conscious of that, but limited in the ability to raise my own voice. I wondered if we could lean on Dr. S.M. Lockridge, who many years ago brought that incredible rendition of Jesus being the king, that's my king. Some of you will know it. If you're like me, you'll have watched it many, many times and been inspired by it. Maybe for one or two it's new, but I wonder as we play this in just a moment and then the band lead us, as we might acknowledge this one that we serve. We might proclaim him in this place that before we go home today, there might be a Hosanna in CLM once again. We've already lifted him up in the early part of our meeting, but as we finish, he is worthy of all our praise. He is worthy to be lifted high. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He may have ridden into Jerusalem. He may have been nailed on the cross, but he rose again from the dead and he ascended to the Father and he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And this is the King that we serve and he's worthy of all praise and all honor for all time. So enjoy this and then let's enter in fully as we worship the King.
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light.